I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending November 20th. This is going to be a thoroughly international episode. First, we'll be talking about the wearables market with Jérôme Mouly of Yol Development in France. The wearables category is already one of the biggest new markets in electronics, much to the relief of some manufacturers whose businesses were beginning to sag a bit. And then we're off to Shenzhen in China to get a report from the Global CEO Summit and the Global Distribution Summit, two annual conferences traditionally held on succeeding days. The CEO Summit brings some of the top industry leaders from around the world while the Distribution Summit provides insights into the unglamorous but absolutely critical business of maintaining global supply chains. Regular listeners have already surmised this, so I'll just acknowledge it directly. I am older than dirt. So old, I remember when transistor radios were first introduced. All of a sudden, you could carry tunes in a pocket. It was absolutely amazing. Now, don't get me wrong. At the time, there were plenty of radios small enough to carry, and a lot of people had them. But the world was still solidly in the era when a good proportion of home electronics were actually pieces of furniture. Most radios and all television sets were still found in massive wooden cabinets. So, yeah, transistor radios were a big deal when they were introduced. The introduction of wearables feels similarly amazing to me. There are electronic functions that used to be implemented in objects so big you had to have a pocket or a bag for them. But now they can be placed on a wrist strap or clip or even a patch. Marcus Welby, MD, probably would not have believed it had you told him that someday in the future, doctors would not need patients to actually come into their offices to get their heart rate or a blood pressure reading, or even more amazing, their blood oxygen level. For you kids, there's a link on the podcast episode webpage on eetimes.com where you can find out who Marcus Welby was. Wearables is already a huge segment of the market, and Yol Development an analysis firm based in France, has just published a report that predicts that the world market for just the consumer and medical wearable market segments will keep growing at an 11% compound annual growth rate until 2025, when together they'll be worth about $98 billion. Jérôme Moody, Yol Senior Technology and Market Analyst, wrote the report. He keeps track of sensor and actuator technology for Yol. He says smartphone makers are experiencing a slowdown in sales and that they see wearables as a growth area they can exploit. Here's our interview with Jerome. The title says it's consumer and medical, Mm -hmm. uh, but I wanted to just ask you to break down the categories for wearables to make sure that we know what we're including in the conversation and what we are excluding. Yes, Correct. So, um, uh, so you mentioned the, the, this uh, new report uh, we, we recently published. Uh, so, wearables for consumer and uh, medical market and technology trends. So, um, the different um, categories we uh, we have 
in this report are first for sure uh, the market segments, so medical and consumers, but uh, we uh, also uh, have segmentation uh, by type of uh, wearables, so the wrist-worn, the head-worn, body-worn, uh, and smart clothing. And um, uh, as well, we have the products because the main products, um, the main wearables existing like smartwatches, fitness bands, earbuds, uh, continuous glucose monitoring, hearing aids, and etc. Okay. Uh, so uh, you said there are head wearables, body wearables, and you said clothing wearables. Is that right? Yeah, so um, when we say the uh, body worn, for example, so uh, mm -hmm. what is body worn means that uh, we are talking about uh, uh, smart patches mainly. Uh, smart clothing okay. is a bit different because it's uh, uh, it concerns the, the wearables that are uh, put into uh, a garment. All right. So um, I think most listeners have have e either have or have seen a Fitbit or a smartwatch. Um, when we're talking about uh, patches, um, are these for are these mostly for medical monitoring? Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, what we have described uh, is that uh, for for body patches, we are more related to uh, medical wearables, um, mm -hmm. just because uh, those uh, um, body patches are useful to, to monitor patients. Uh, and today, if we're talking about, uh, about uh, actuality, uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, is one of the uh, major driver for that because um, patient to be monitored at home remotely uh, is key uh, at the moment. So uh, body patches, are mainly uh, medical. Uh, we can find uh, uh, we can find them also uh, in consumer applications, uh, like for example, dehydration uh, or hydration monitoring of uh, people uh, doing sports. Uh, but uh, it's not where you have the majority the majority of uh, body patches. Okay, and. Um, so I'm familiar, a little familiar with uh, Fitbits, smartwatches. Mm -hmm. um, they're beginning to, some of the people who manufacture those smartwatches and, and other uh, things you wear on your wrist, um, one of the difficulties they have with the medical sensors that they want to include is that um, the contact with the person wearing it. Um, sometimes uh, the sensor isn't close enough. Uh, sometimes the sensor ought to be in contact. Mm -hmm. Is that why is that why you want a, a patch with certain device with certain sensors so that you can actually get close to the skin? Um, yes, uh, in a way, uh, but uh, the, 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 the answer is probably much more much complex than that uh, oh. you're right about the um, uh, the issues related to the movement uh, from the user on the wrist and uh, mm -hmm. the fact that uh, uh, you uh, induce some uh, artifacts uh, related to uh, the, this movement or or the movement on the skin um, so body patch could be one answer 
we have also uh, to take into account uh, new type of uh, wearables like the hearables. Uh, so the earbuds, for example, could be a, a new trend. Uh, and and uh, when you think about an uh, earbuds, it's moving less uh, in the ear, in the ear canal, uh, than on the wrist. So solutions are developed uh, to to be um, uh, reliable for to have data that uh, could be the most accurate possible. Uh, this this is uh, this this is one of uh, one of the solution. But um, Fitbit, uh, Apple, and all other uh, companies are also working on how. Uh, to manage those uh, artifacts and and uh, uh, sensors are, are at the basis of this. Computing is also at the basis of this. So uh, software is is uh, is an answer uh, to put multi parameters and to uh, correct this artifact. So. Um what are the what are the types of medical devices that are coming? I have heard about blood oximeters, for example, uh, that are beginning to mm-hmm. be included. Um, I've also uh, heard that people are uh, trying to develop systems that can actually provide an injection, for example, uh, for someone who has epilepsy, they'd be able to perhaps do an injection, or uh, perhaps if someone is uh, allergic to something, they'd be Mm -hmm. able to inject uh, epinephrine. Uh, Can you, uh, can you talk about what some of the, some of the different kinds of medical wearables that are, that are being prepared? Yes. So so you, you, you mentioned something interesting. Um, uh, I would say new wearables, when we are talking about new wearables, we are also talking about new functions because sometimes the wearables already exist uh, under the, the, the form the form of uh, wristband, smartwatch, etc. It's the addition of function that is uh, that is key. And um, in the medical uh, medical wearables uh, market, we we see uh, at the moment uh, a lot of things related uh, to SpO2, uh, so the, the um, oximetry that you mentioned, um, also the the blood the blood uh, uh, pressure monitoring. Uh, so uh, the idea is how to uh, get uh, non-invasive accurate information that that's uh, the challenge at the moment so uh, yes uh, uh, these are the new trend uh, for example the samsung galaxy watch 3 uh, is integrating now um, this uh, this uh, blood pressure uh, blood pressure monitor uh, that uh, is uh, now coming uh, or competing with uh, with the cuff based uh, systems but uh, more and more, we are going to uh, electrochemical devices, the electrochemical sensors. Um, so, uh, what is in in the sweat? Uh, what type of analytes you can find in the sweat? Uh, what kind of uh, uh, biomarkers you can you can find on the skin? Uh, and, and and how to prevent? Because 
we have to think about uh, the healthcare uh, system and the transformation of this healthcare system with uh, the requirement of uh, 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 with the cost pressure, I mean, uh, that is, uh, that is uh, also uh, an important challenge. So uh, to get information as soon as possible uh, is, is a way uh, to reduce the cost. So yes, electrochemical devices, um, oximetry, uh, blood pressure, more and more also stress level. Um, so you, you heard perhaps about the emotion uh, trackers like uh, the halo band. So it's like uh, the, the, the halo bracelet uh, from Amazon. Uh, so it's an emotion uh, tracker. Uh, okay, it's more on the consumer side, but uh, you have exactly the same kind of uh, wearables for stress level, uh, emotion level. Uh, that's fascinating. Uh, I was unaware of this. It reminds me of uh, it, it reminds me of mood rings. Do you remember those from? Uh, uh, maybe you're not young. Maybe you're not old enough. Um, back in the nineteen <laughs> back in the nineteen seventies, they they had these mood rings that would turn different colors, oh. and they were just basically heat sensors. I, I, I didn't um, know that. <laughs> um, but but this, uh, I imagine there's a much more scientific basis for these. Uh, yeah, yes, um, but uh, um, at the moment is is uh, is clearly a consumer uh, device. But for for the emotion tracker uh, mm -hmm. regarding the stress level and uh, uh, link to the um, uh, sleep activity. For example, yes, it's much more. It's much more on the medical side. So um, uh, the uh, prevention of uh, sleep apnea, for example. So when you're when you titled your report and and decided to look <laughs> at um, at consumer and medical wearables, mm -hmm. um, is that because the categories are blurred a little bit? We we talk about uh, a Fitbit that can also take mm -hmm. a look at your your SpO two um, smartphones are beginning to or smart watches rather are beginning to to include some of those same sensors. Um, did you choose your category because they're already beginning to overlap? Yes, uh, it's one of the reasons, uh, not only, but one of the reasons, because um, uh, it's very interesting to, to look at this, uh, the, this, these two markets uh, th that, uh, that are uh, uh, overlapping and a lot of questions uh, raised uh, about that, because uh, we see this overlap that we, in a way, uh, um, mentioned as the consumer healthcare. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's like the, the pharmaceut pharmaceutical uh, approach. Uh, so I mean, uh, the, the, the over the counter concept. Uh, so, uh, how you can buy uh, medical devices or devices that uh, are not prescribed, but that could monitor your health. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a big trend. Uh, that uh, we we can we can see at the moment uh, it's a it's a big trend because people uh, would like to monitor their own health. Um, it's what we name the quantified self approach. Uh, and but people are 
uh, are not uh, patient. They are users. They are not patients, really. So what they, what they want, they want a wearable that is an accessory. They, they don't want to have the stigma like uh, having... Uh, that, that's, that's perhaps explain our discussion about the body patches. If you put your, the body patch on your skin, um, you can see that uh, you can see these wearables and people could ask questions. Oh, do you have problems here with uh, a, a smartwatch, a fitness band? It's just a normal accessory, but you can prevent... Uh, you can monitor your own health with this, and and people would like to be part of their own uh, health management now. And and to go further, uh, yes, we have other uh, other categories or other markets like uh, industrial, um, like uh, uh, defense, um, where wearables are are used. But uh, we separate this and, and uh, other, uh, other reports uh, coming at the beginning of uh, 2021, like uh, Soldier of the Future, for example, will describe these uh, this other uh, wearables. Okay. Um, well, then perhaps we'll talk to you about that in a couple of months. We'll, call, we'll have you come back. Meanwhile, <laughs> with the medical and consumer, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, there's a, a trend towards the, the quantitative self, uh, people trying to monitor their own health. Mm -hmm. um, but with, uh, is there a distinction between um, something like a Fitbit or a smartphone and um, a, 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 a certified medical device mm -hmm. um you know uh, medical devices are highly regulated and mm -hmm. um and, and that makes it, it it's a it's an interesting challenge for companies making these devices right uh so how does uh how does regulation affect this market Yes, um, so that's that's one major point, and and how to uh, work on, on this as the uh, uh, this overlap is uh, blurring lines now uh, between between uh, uh, medical and consumer. But uh, first of all, just just to to explain how we are doing this and how we we took into account uh, this in our market. Uh, it was really important to uh, to to give definitions and our main definitions what is a medical uh, wearable uh, is that um, you have front of you a real medical device so as you mentioned uh, it's a, it's a, a device that is uh, cleared by the FDA uh, or by the or receiving the CE marking uh, as a medical device um, we um, consider also uh, the uh, consumer uh, devices that have a function, a medical function, uh, but um, the, 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 the main uh, purpose of those devices are consumer. So like the Apple Watch, uh, it was, uh, it, it, so we, we decided to put uh, the Apple Watch uh, in the consumer uh, in the consumer market, uh, even if uh, a function like ECG 
is um, is uh, cleared by the FDA. But the, the exercise is is, uh, is more and more challenging because uh, more and more um, uh, devices uh, are integrating uh, cleared functions, cleared FDA functions. So that's uh, that's uh, that's clear. Um, uh, it's 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 a key trend. Uh, it's a key trend to 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 have uh, more and more uh, health uh, uh, functions and health sensors integrated, uh, and uh, the the device manufacturers are integrating more and more uh, what we can name medical grade sensors in in their uh, topics. Even if they are in in their wearables, even if they are uh, uh, consumer oriented. Okay. Um, so you mentioned some of the the vendors now, uh, mm-hmm. or ve- how do you break down uh, the vendors in your report? Do you break them down by? Um, the the companies that that make the final product, and do you also uh, break down um, the their suppliers, the sensor manufacturers, those who make the components? Exactly. So we we did uh, both exercise. So um, uh, first the uh, end uh, uh, systems. So the OEM uh, manufacturers of uh, wearables um, from uh, medical to consumer market, and uh, we uh, also have the the sensor uh, players. So the uh, the companies that are providing the, the the sensors integrated in wearables. Do you identify um, any of the companies that are that are uh, best positioned to uh, take advantage of these markets? Oh, clearly, <laughs> it's yeah. uh, 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 first uh, the consumer electronics uh, manufacturers, but it's a uh, very uh, large numbers of uh, companies, and I would say especially the smartphone companies. Smartphone companies are are, are really uh, well positioned in in this uh, market. Um, so. Uh, most of them uh, are already uh, now developing the the next uh, the next uh, uh, solutions for for wearables first of all um, we are at a level of a certain maturity in the smartphone market and and now um, uh, you have to to think about uh, the wearable market that uh, we uh, um, forecast at uh, nearly 100 billion dollar uh, it's uh, 11, uh, uh, more than 11% growth rate in the next five years, compound annual growth rate. So it's, uh, it's much more than uh, the 2 the to 3% of the smartphone market. Um, so it's, it's really uh, leveraging their, their, their market at the moment, uh, their revenues. Uh, and if you look at the trends, uh, I mentioned the hearables. Hearables is, is probably the new and is the new wave uh, of wearables. And all the smartphone makers are now in the hearable market with earbuds. And, and that's why in our top, uh, uh, top uh, three, top four, uh, we have, uh, we have, uh, um, smartphone, smartphone manufacturers, uh, in the ranking. Apple, uh, leading this with uh, about 40% of uh, market shares. Wow. 
Um, is there opportunity for uh, companies that make traditional medical equipment? Are those companies likely to, to prosper in the wearables market? Um, the, um, at the early beginning, or, or uh, um, I would say uh, until two to three years ago, yes, uh, um, companies, uh, companies, some companies uh, were uh, in in a battle or competing uh, on the same uh, type of uh, wearables like uh, smartwatches uh, coming from the really the, the medical device uh, uh, market uh, really medical oriented um, at the moment it's uh, quite clear that the consumer market is uh, gaining share in this uh, market uh, because of what i explained before because uh, because uh, most of the users are, are not uh, uh, patients but uh, more users taking care of their own health uh, however we, we 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 can see a trend um, uh, that all those manufacturers i'm mentioned companies like Medtronics, Philips, Omron, uh, uh, and, and, uh, or about uh, Dexcom. Um, those companies working uh, uh, on, uh, on, on different kinds of uh, wearables and, uh, for example, Medtronic, Abbott, or Dexcom on the continuous glucose monitoring, they are really on the side of medical uh, market because um, uh, their wearables are, are vital, vital for people. So they are, uh, they, they keep this uh, clinical markets on their, uh, in their hands. And, and probably it's where the um, consumer market will not go. Because, uh, because you are going to uh, very strict regulations where, um, consumer players uh, will not go or a, a few of them could go, but not all of them. Okay. So there are strict regulations in terms of, uh, of medical devices. Mm -hmm. um, there are also some, some jurisdictions, some places have concerns and regulations about the privacy of the data itself. Um, do those concerns affect the market? Um, do they do they play into the projections that you'll developed about the wearables market? Um, uh, regarding our the process uh, we are doing our uh, uh, analysis, we are interviewing uh, different companies from the sensor uh, to foundries uh, and 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 uh, and system makers, and uh, uh, this never uh, came to to us uh, as a possible bottleneck uh, and and if you refer to uh, uh, the um, um, the information we have published regarding uh, the uh, uh, the last uh, the last report we get on wearables in 2015 and now we can see that this wearable market is growing uh, by 20 times so it 
does not appear that wearables uh, or, or, or the, the um, privacy, etc., uh, issues uh, are, is uh, is uh, is uh, not a, is a challenge for the, the the wearable makers. So, what are, do you have any wearables yourself? What do, what do you, what what electronics do you wear? Ah yeah, so uh, yes, like a, a, a smartwatch. Uh, I, I uh, so I, I don't have on on, uh, on my wrist at the moment, but uh, yes, I, I had a, a Fitbit and uh, and also uh, uh, with things that uh, you probably know the the history uh, with uh, Nokia. Uh, so uh, yes, th those kind of uh, smartwatches or, or fitness bands, I, I get it. Uh, also, um, so in the past and now, uh, with uh, with things, for example, yes. So, are you <laughs> are you prepared to start monitoring your own blood oxygen levels? Uh, not with what I have at the moment, but uh, yes, why not? And uh, um, uh, yes, I I, I, I I really start, and and um, it's clear uh, more and more uh, wearables are not just giving uh, users raw data but data that uh, that are processed and data that uh, you can use like a uh, coaching um, or alerts and uh, and uh, uh, more and more those data are are accurate and real reliable so um uh, okay, it's it's perhaps not a, a, a real medical device, but uh, uh, what you know is um, if you see some difference coming from uh, your monitoring, so, something that uh, that uh, attracts your attention, is it, it, you you can't say that you're sick or you have an, uh, uh, an issue, but it's just a, uh, an alert to say, "Hey, go to the doctor. It's time to do to go." So, so that's uh, that's why it's 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 interesting. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. That was Jerome Moody, analyst at Yol Development. Yol's report on wearables is called Wearables in Consumer and Medical Applications 2020, and it is available from Yol. We didn't get into this in our conversation, but the consumer and medical markets that Yol tracks in its report include smart clothing. Ten years ago, that was mostly about musicians on stage wearing costumes that lit up. These days, you're more likely to hear about e-textiles that incorporate biometric sensors. Other applications might include controlling heating elements in winter wear. Some companies are looking into weaving antennas for local area networking directly into the fabric of your clothing. And of course... No one's given up on clothing that simply lights up, and hooray for that. I would buy a Jenny Holzer t-shirt. For you kids, there'll be a link on the website that should explain that one too. AspenCore, the company that publishes EE Times, hosts the Global CEO Summit and the Global Distribution Summit on two consecutive days in Shenzhen in China every November. This year, one of the keynotes was delivered by one of the leading voices in China's semiconductor industry, who gave a pretty thoroughly researched address arguing against simply giving up on resolving the trade war 
and letting the two economies go their own separate ways. That approach is called decoupling, and it's been gaining in popularity. The keynoter observed that China and the United States could successfully decouple their economies, but both would prosper more if they didn't. We have an abridged version of his presentation translated on our website at www.eetimes.com, and there's a handy link to the story on this podcast episode's webpage, which you can find at www.eetimes.com slash podcasts. The headline is Six Points to Consider Before Betting the Farm on All Made in China. One of the event organizers is Echo Zhao, an Aspen Corps colleague of ours. I gave her a ring in Shenzhen, where she's based. Professor Wei Xiaojun gave a well-researched presentation arguing that the U.S. and China might both benefit more by working with each other rather than by going their separate ways. So I actually have one unexpected question for you. Okay. Would you, when you tell me the answer, would you tell me how to pronounce the professor's name correctly? Because <laughs> sure. I know I got it wrong. So tell me the, the how to pronounce the professor's name and then tell us what the reaction was to his presentation. Yeah, it's uh, Professor Wei Shaojun. Thank you. Yeah, he is well known in China. And uh, I think uh, his speech is more like an education for the media and the authorities. For everybody who is working in uh, semiconductor or electric, uh, electronic industry. We all know it's the truth. We need to uh, working with each other, right? It's mm-hmm. not realistic to uh, completely decouple. And mm-hmm. also, I noticed that for uh, SIA and semiconductors companies in the U.S., they also oppose to decouple from China, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Yeah. Some of and, them do, yeah. And for professional media who focus on this industry, uh, like us, E Times, we know it's a choice too. But after NTT list and what happened to Huawei, the whole nation, I mean, in China, uh, the whole mm-hmm. nation are paying great attention to semiconductor news, that including my retired parents. Huh. <laughs> Uh, that's why there is also uh, some voices from some media, especially mass media or way media, trying to incite national sentiment and want everything independent and controllable. So I think Professor Wei Xiaojun's uh, speech is more like an education for them. Right. So adjusting uh, adjusting expectations. Uh, we have... <laughs> We, but there are a lot of Americans who feel similarly. It's uh, uh, they they feel it's a national pri- an issue of national pride, mm. but that doesn't mean it's a, it's the smartest thing to do. Yeah, so we are we are in the same page. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Um, my next question mm. uh, about just uh, some of the, so the the double summit was uh, two days long. What are some of the other highlights, um, mm-hmm. perhaps some of the other presentations? Uh, what, what, uh, what's, 
what uh, stood out in uh, in your mind? Uh, the biggest highlight is they are uh, full of highlights during two days summit. Mm-hmm. I'm incapable to summarize them all in one episode. You can imagine it. Leading companies all bring their A games. For attendees, it's a good chance to know the latest technology and supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I was impressed by the attitudes of panelists of Roundtable, which I hosted. The topic of the Roundtable is embracing the new normal and envisioning a new decade of electronics industry development. People show great confidence to the new normal or uh, the better normal, although they believe it will last for a long time, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, but uh, were the when you hosted your panel, mm-hmm. uh, were the panelists um, optimistic about moving moving ahead? Did they expect uh, prosperity? Some yeah. are optimistic, but mm-hmm. maybe some are not. But mm-hmm. but both of them, they are have confidence. We know mm-hmm. what happened next but we know we can do it. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Um, what, so there's this, it was a double summit because there are two parts of the, uh, of the summits. One is for the electronics and semiconductor mm. industry. Mm. Uh, one focuses on distribution. Mm. Um, the participants in the distribution summit, mm-hmm. uh, did they comment on changes in a, that are happening in the global supply chain. Mm. Yes, that, that's absolutely the hottest topic in uh, distribution summit. Uh, and actually, during the roundtable of the distribution summit, we are discussing the topic of how to build a robust or safety electronics supply chain. You know, due to the pandemic, the trade war, and uh, export control, there are lots of uncertainty and changing in China component supply chain, such as uh, out of stock, rising price. Uh, let's mm-hmm. take uh, out of stock, for example. It mm-hmm. brought panic effect to the market. Actually, some requirements may be not true. It just came from pan- panic. People are panicking. I think it's maybe a little like that what happened to the toilet paper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at, at the same time, some companies stock up large quantities of U.S. products, and it has great policy risks, such as with a new president in USA, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, our panelists uh, got uh, lots of questions from the on-site attendees, and it's the longest roundtable in our summit history. Yeah, so all the people, they, they are very concerned about the safety and the robust and the how to face in the changing global supply chain. So... I was there in Shenzhen last year. It was very kind of you to invite uh, me and, and Junko to come and, and visit and attend last year. 
this year things were different. Yeah. <laughs> we, have a, we have a pandemic. Uh, so, so what's the difference between um, the 2019 double summits and the 2020 double summits? Yeah, honestly, so it's a pity that we can't have you guys here <laughs> this year. Thank you. Yeah, yeah in the organizer on go, uh, 2020 is much harder than 2019. But in the audience on go, it is much more valuable to them, considering the political and economic environment. It is very inspiring to have a chance for people to face-to-face or at least mask-to-mask. They need to talk to each other. And for the huge event of this level, uh, let's say we have more than 1,000 audience per day. Usually, we need to prepare it several months ago. Uh, back to then, we cannot forecast how the situation goes both in China and the world. You know, in the first half of this year, we changed all our events to virtual, to online. So, yeah, it's, it's very hard this year. And we are very deeply grateful to... Uh, now, uh, all speaker, all of our speakers, and like uh, speakers from foreign countries, they attend the summit via uh, video. And thanks for our all speakers who come from all over uh, the country. They come to the uh, scene, and there were two speakers from Hong Kong uh, for the supply chain summit. Uh, that is. Uh, MK Mark from On Semiconductor and Kevin Wang from Sourceability. Because there is still a strict quarantine policy in mainland China, both of them were isolated in a hotel room for 14 days. Oh my. Yeah. yeah. And Kevin told me that he cannot walk out of the room for the 14 days, and his store only opens three times per day for meal. And there is no room service, no laundry. Even his tower and bed sheet did not change for the whole 14 days. Wow. That, so that was uh, quite a commitment from him to come and speak then. Huh? Right, right. Yeah. They are very supportive for, for us. So I'm very moved. Well, we're gonna. I, I hope, I hope uh, once they were out of quarantine, they had a good experience. Yeah. They think it's worth it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know. Uh, what about next year? Do you think? Uh, do you think we might uh, we might be able to travel again? Yeah, it really depends on the pandemic situation. I mm. asked my panelists of roundtable uh, what's their expectation for the pandemic worldwide, and some think it will end in six months. But still, some think we need to wear mask at least for two years. Mm-hmm. So, what's your expectation? Could could you come to Double Summit next year? I hope so. Um, it was it last year. It was such a valuable experience mm-hmm. um, hearing the presentations and getting to sit down with with um, executives from that part of the world that we normally don't get to see face to face and have some very open discussions. That was such a valuable thing. 
and and I I really do hope that um, that uh, by next year there's a there's a vaccine that it gets you know there's that it's yeah. it, it's spread wide enough they make enough doses that some that most people get to do it keeping my fingers crossed yeah me too yeah echo it was such a delight to speak with you thank you so much thank you brian we were just speaking with echo zhao from aspen Corps operation in china another part of the double summits is the world electronics achievement awards We've got an article recognizing this year's WEAA Award recipients. There's a link to that on our episode webpage, too. And now we'd like to invite you to come along with us for one of our intermittent trips down memory lane. Just about every week, we like to celebrate the anniversaries of great moments in technology history. This week, we are going to set our Wayback Machine to... November 19th, 1999. On that day, China successfully launched the first of its Long March rockets to deliver a spacecraft, the Shenzhou-1, into orbit. China had been assisted in its space program by Russia. The Shenzhou modules were, by all appearances, modeled on the Soviet Soyuz spacecraft which some people believed in turn were modeled after a design proposed in the United States by GE in the early 1960s. China was secretive about the 1999 launch. After the fact, some speculate the launch may have been rushed. That may or may not be why Shenzhou-1 wasn't fully operational. One source called it an inert mock-up. Ultimately, that was neither here nor there. The immediate concern was whether the rocket would work and if it could deliver the payload. That's actually the Long March rocket from that launch taking off. It successfully delivered the Shenzhou-1 into Earth orbit. The craft made 14 circuits and then was brought back to Earth in a parachute landing in Inner Mongolia. Only four years later, Shenzhou-5 was the first manned craft lifted into orbit by China, the third country in the world to achieve independent human spaceflight capability. And that's your weekly briefing for the week ending November 20th. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at www.eetimes.com slash podcasts, You'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by Aspen Core Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.